Let's pray. God, we bow our hearts before you. So desiring that you would visit us today in a very special way. That your spirit would pour out on us today. Whatever changes that need to be made in us, in your church, in our homes, in our lives. God, today you would make those changes by your power and for your glory. Thank you for walking with us in these weeks as you have. And thank you for the opportunity, God, today that we have to come together before you and to lift the name of Jesus up high. May you receive all the glory and the honor and the praise today. And it's in your good name that we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Well, happy spring break, everybody. Friday night, we took the kids out. Moon roofs open at 9.30 p.m., freezing rain, pelting my window at 2 a.m. Obviously, the weather in Alabama is not Baptist. Amen, right? It just likes to change. Well, listen, we've been looking forward to this day now for about 28 days. And early this morning, probably while you were asleep, the clocks, they changed. And God's been at work changing us over the last several weeks. We've been turning our hearts toward God, that we might be people who are devoted to His voice, that we might be people that are devoted to His ear, that we might be people that are devoted to each other. And God's been doing that, and we praise the Lord for that. But our goal in all of that is not that we would become more faithful to reading God's Word or more faithful to praising God or praying to God or even more faithful to God's people. But our heart's desire and our goal and all of that has been that through those means, we would come to know God, that we would know Jesus better than we've ever known Him. Because if you know Him today, you know that you don't yet really know Him. And that's our heart's cry today, to know the Lord more. And I believe, Bryce, there's been a tangible difference in this room and on this campus over the last number of weeks as people have, by God's grace, been turning their hearts and their minds more toward God. Can, can you sense that? I'm just asking. I just think there's been a tangible difference in the place and in the atmospheres we've gathered together over the, over the last several weeks. There's been a renewed excitement among us, a renewed joy our parking lots outside are once again overflowing and people are having trouble finding a place to park. Our small groups, our life groups are quickly filling up once again and becoming standing room only kind of places. The band, we, we're about to move into a new campus. I still can't tell you when, but I can tell you it's closer than it was yesterday, all right? It's kind of like the return of Jesus. I know it's coming. I'm, at this point, I'm not sure which is coming first, however, but I'm telling you, the band was over there Sunday afternoon breaking in the new sound system. We're getting ready to have our first vacation Bible school around here since 2019. We got donuts out in the fireside room today for the first time in two years. Biggest response comes from Krispy Kreme today. <laughs> Preach Jesus and Krispy Kreme and we're going to make it around here. We're getting ready for a full slate of summer ministry opportunities. We're going to get to engage with our communities once again. 
And it feels like it's been so long since we've been able to do that. And man, we praise God for all that today, don't we? Don't we celebrate all that today? Amen. We do praise God for all that, but none of that is worth anything. None of those things, none of those things can bring spiritual life. None of those things, no amount of new resources can produce spiritual life. No amount of skillfully planned programs can bring about spiritual life. None of those things has the power to kill sin. None of those things has the power to change a person's life. None of those things has the power to bear the fruit of the Spirit in this world. It doesn't matter how good the band sounds. It doesn't matter how pretty the carpet is. It doesn't matter what kind of personality the pastor may have. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, build it in vain. I'm not saying that all these things and all the rest aren't important. They are important. And I pray that we do lots more important things in our future. And I pray that we do lots more important things better than we've ever done important things in our past. But make no mistake, if we don't bathe everything that we have, and if we don't bathe everything that we do with everything that we have, with a spirit of dependency and longing and expectation for Almighty God Himself to come down and breathe His life into that, we will have wasted our lives. We will have wasted those resources. We will have wasted all of our effort and all of our energy. It will be for nothing. Listen, Grace Life, we can hoist the sails, but it is only God that can breathe wind into those sails. Only God can breathe life into these things. Apart from the breath of Almighty God, the living God, blowing through all of this, there will be no true life. There will be no true power. There will be no true fruit that brings glory to God. I, I, it is time to change Sunday, and we've looked forward to this day, but I, I don't think... For most of you, the kind of change you want is some kind of short-lived, superficial sort of change that we just sort of escort in the room by being cutesy and creative and putting forth a little bit of extra effort than we normally do. I don't think that's what any Christ follower in this room this morning is after. I believe in our hearts that most of us today in this place that we are longing for and desiring and wanting the same thing we're hungry for and we are longing for and we are aching for a Holy Spirit-empowered revival. In God's church. So let's open our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel, just so you know, is a young Jewish man that's been taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Ezekiel 37 is where we're going to be. And as you're going there, I just want to read out of Psalm 137 to you. Psalm 137 helps us understand Ezekiel's mindset when we get to Ezekiel 37. Psalm 137 helps kind of put us in the sandals of God's people who found themselves in Babylonian captivity to know what they're feeling in their hearts, to know what they're thinking in their minds. 
And I think as I read Psalm 137 to you, although it's about a bunch of God's people being in a place that they don't want to be, I think it'll ring true for a lot of us in the room today. Because I think there's a lot of us in the room today that would say, hey, where my heart is right now is not where I want my heart to be. Where my life is right now is not where I want my life to be. I am not at peace with where I am currently in my life. And I think Psalm 137 has got to resonate with us. Psalm 137.1, beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept. They're sitting in a place where they don't want to be. Maybe you relate to that. Maybe today your life isn't what you want it to be. They said, beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. How many of you relate to that? Where I am and where I want to be are miles apart. Verse 2, they say, we put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. Why? Why, why would you hang up your harps? And leave them at the house. Because our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. We can't sing a joyful hymn. They say, sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. And Ezekiel and the captives are saying, the music has stopped. For some of you over the last season in your life, maybe the music has sort of stopped. You're just sort of making it. One day to the next. Or just making it one moment to the next. The rhythm and the melody and the harmonies are gone. Verse 4, but how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? Can you feel that emptiness in them? Can you feel that despair in them? Can you understand that daily dread of another day where I don't want to be? Let me remind you why God's people are in captivity here, by the way. Despite all the warnings that God had sent them, they turned their eyes away from God. They thought we can build the house without him. We can, we can go on and do this without him. We, we know enough. We got enough. We have enough experience. We got enough head knowledge that we don't need him now. They became confident in themselves. They became confident in their resources. They didn't forget about God. They just convinced themselves that he wasn't all that important to them anymore. They got confident in themselves and their hearts drifted from God. Their captivity is not punishment from God. Their captivity is discipline. From God. God aims to correct. He aims to transform. He aims to change them. His plan is to use this in their lives to revive his people. In other words, God is breaking his people so he can fix. 
his people. Maybe that explains where you are today. Maybe that explains the path that you've been walking in recent days. As a child of God, it is not that God is angry and he is punishing you. It is that God has so much more for you. And he may just be breaking us to remake us. And when we get to Ezekiel 37, the people in captivity, they are deeply discouraged. All seems lost. They feel cut off from anything that's good. Even more than that, they feel as if now they have been cut off from God. But then God speaks. He speaks through this 37th chapter of the book of Ezekiel because God's got something to say to these people who are sitting down next to that river in Babylon going, this is horrible. It's over. God's got something to say to the people in this room today who also are entertaining those thoughts of it's over. The best is behind, the worst is in front. I just got to try to grind it out day to day. God's got a word, I think, for you today, too. I know he does for me. Here's the funny thing about the book of Ezekiel. Most people here don't know much about it. But you probably do know a little something about the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. The reason, because the 37th chapter of Ezekiel is a little bit creepy. (laughs) It takes place in this huge valley that's filled up with these dry human bones. Ezekiel 37 is kind of like a scary movie because in Ezekiel 37, you're going to see it in a minute, these dry bones start moving. They start coming together and then skin reappears on them and they start walking around. Me and Shannon only had to watch about five minutes of The Walking Dead to know that show wasn't for us. But this is sort of what comes to mind in Ezekiel chapter 37. But God is making a point in Ezekiel 37 to his people saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do because you're feeling dead on the inside. This is what I'm going to do. God's given Ezekiel a glimpse of what I believe can be best described by one word. Revival. 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 See, I believe the church right now, capital C, church, is at a crossroads in our generation. Right now in our generation, the church has a choice to make. We're either going to move closer to revival or we're going to choose to move closer to ruin. That's where I believe we are. Let me personalize that for you, child of God, today. You today, or either today, going to move closer to revival, or today you're going to move closer to ruin. The hope of the world, and the hope even of this nation that you and I live in is the same. That the people of God, the world and our nation doesn't know this is their hope. But it is. The hope is that the people of God would be revived and filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the power of God to proclaim the good news of God for the salvation of the nations to the glory of God. That's the hope for the world. The politicians and the technocrats 
are peddling their agendas to fix the world. But the world's only hope is that just as we sang a moment ago, is that God would open up the heavens. And that he would visit his people. And that he would revive us again. And Ezekiel 37 answers two questions that we need to have answers to today. One is this, what is revival? What is revival? And number two, how does it come? What is revival? And how does it come? First question, what is revival? Now that question is not going to take a whole lot of effort on my part to answer. Because God graphically answers that question in Ezekiel chapter 37. What does revival look like? Read Ezekiel 37, which we'll do in just a moment. I love this quote from Stephen Olford. Watch this. He describes revival as, quote, that strange and sovereign work of God. It, it's strange and sovereign. In other words, God does this all by himself. And it's a bit unpredictable. It's strange and sovereign work of God in which he visits his own people, restoring, reanimating, and releasing them into the fullness of his blessing. Can I just read that to you again? Revival, that strange and sovereign work of God in which he visits his own people, restoring, reanimating, and releasing them into the fullness of his blessing. Let's look at the illustration of revival that God gives Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37. The Lord, all right, Grace Life, it's all caps. Who are we talking about here? Yeah, Yahweh. The Lord took hold of me. I like that. In a frightening sort of way, right? When the Lord just takes a hold of you, right? I'm kind of at a point in my life right now. I don't need the, he walks with me and he talks with me in the garden. I need him to jerk my butt up today. I'm going to be honest with you. Amen. Anybody else there with me today? All right, I'm kind of, I don't need to be tiptoeing through the tulips with Jesus today. I need him, like Brandon had to yank his kid up just now and haul him out. We've all been there. If you were a church kid, you know what that's like right now. He's taking that little boy up to the old sanctuary right now. <laughs> Woo! You didn't want to get pulled out to the old sanctuary. That's bad news. All right, so Ezekiel gets yanked up. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. Listen to the language here. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out, bleached out dry. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? I love how Ezekiel answers the question, O oh, sovereign Lord. He just said, oh, Adonai Yahweh. He, he finds the biggest words to describe God in this moment that he possibly can. Adonai Yahweh, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. I love that answer. I love that Ezekiel is way past pretending to know. 
I love that Ezekiel is way past trying to be presumptuous in his answer to Adonai Yahweh. He just acknowledges you alone are sovereign. You alone are God. I am not. You're the great I am. I'm the great I am not. I don't have a clue. Only you know. Only you know. Some of you have been in the valley for so long, you are through pretending. Praise the Lord. Some of you have been in the valley for so long, you're through trying to be presumptuous. Praise the Lord. Some of you have been in the valley for so long, your only hope is that God knows. Because heavens to Betsy, you don't. And you're not faking it anymore. And then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones. I've preached to some dead churches. This is a whole nother league right here. He says, I speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the what? The word. The word of who? The Lord. Yahweh. If you read John 18 this week, you remember in the garden when Jesus was about to be arrested, he spoke that name Yahweh and all the guards fell down. Speak this prophetic message to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord, Adonai Yahweh, says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. The bones won't have a choice in it. I'm going to make you live again. It's that strange, sovereign, reviving act of God on what was dead. To reanimate, to restore To move into the fullness of his presence, the fullness of his blessing. God, to some of you today, is saying, I'm going to make you live again. You feel dead in the heart. You feel dead on the inside. You feel like life has passed you by. And now you're just living out your days in the valley of the shadow of death, in the valley of dry bones until Jesus comes. But God says, not so fast. I will make you live again and I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. You're going to know me, God says. This is the point of revival, not to become better students at God's word. Not to become better at lifting up songs of praise. Not to become more faithful to God's people, to be plugged into a local church. All those things are good things. God brings revival in so that we might know Him. He says, then you will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel says, so I spoke this message just as He told me. Let me just say too, some of you are waiting until you feel like obeying God to obey God. Do you really think in this moment Ezekiel just like, yes, Thank God I get to like take a break from Babylon and go and preach in a cemetery. That's going to be gratifying, right? <laughs> Sign me up. I'm really pumped about this opportunity. Some of you are waiting till you get the holy God bumps on your skin to walk in obedience. It ain't going to happen like that. We obey our way to the fields. We don't feel our way to the obedience. Ezekiel says, so I spoke this message just as he told me. And suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. How many deer hunters in the house? Deer hunters, you ever rattled the antlers? Imagine 10,000 hunters at your hunting club all rattling the antlers at the same time. 
Ooh. There was this rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. They've been reformed, but they are not yet revived. Grace life, that is where we are. Over the last several weeks, God has reformed us, but we are yet to be revived. The parking lot's full. Life groups are filling up. Pre-COVID numbers are back. Thank you, Jesus. We're only reformed. We're not yet revived. And then he said to me, got another sermon for you. Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Okay, first I preached to bones. Now I'm preaching to something I can't even see. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what Adonai Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, says. Preach the word. Preach the word of the Lord. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. And they all came to life. And they stood up on their feet. A great army. That's how God turns dead citizens in a cemetery into a holy military. That's how God illustrates what revival is. Let me go back to Olford's definition one more time. That strange and sovereign work of God in which he visits his own people, restoring, reanimating, and releasing them into the fullness of his blessing. Is that not what the church needs on March the 13th, 2022? Is that not what you need and what I need? This strange sovereign act of God would come to us who before his holy eyes we are as attractive as bleached out bones in the valley to him but that for reasons we can never understand he would just sit down on us and restore us and reanimate us And once again, release us into the fullness of his presence. The only thing that's going to keep our world from running off the edge of civilization is that revival would come to the church. We're watching civilization collapse in front of our eyes. And God desires to step into the cemetery and raise up a holy military that would bear his light and shake his salt into this world for his glory. That's what revival is. How does it come? Two ways. One is this. 
Revival comes through the proclaiming of God's word. It's through the proclaiming of God's word that revival comes. Did you see that? As we read the text, two times God said, preach my word. Preach my word. And that was Ezekiel's job. That was it. Preach God's word. That was his job. His job wasn't to know the answers. You alone, God, know. His job wasn't to know the answers. His job wasn't to be creative. His job wasn't to win friends and influence people. His job was one thing and one thing only. Stand here and preach the word of God. That's my job as I stand here as your pastor every single week. Hello, my job is not to have all the answers for you. My job is not to be your personal Messiah. My job is not to be the spiritual butler in your life. My job is to stand here and preach to you the word of God every single time I get an opportunity to do that. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's your job too. That's your job too. His word was delivered to the saints, not just to the pastors. That's your job too. You're not necessarily a pastor, but God's called all of his people to proclaim his word. And look, church, the day we find all of us living our lives and proclaiming God's word, God's word coming out of our mouths instead of our opinions and our ideas and our boasting and our gossiping. That will be the day that maybe revival fires from heaven really fall on God's people. Because it comes through the proclamation of God's word. The people of God stand in the valleys of death. And they don't spout off what they think. people of God stand in the valleys of death and they say this is what the word of God says this is the word of God that's our call to stand in the valleys of death and proclaim God's word valleys where hope has died valleys where love has died valleys where dreams have died valleys where marriages have died valleys where peace has died valleys where addiction kills valleys where hate kills valleys where pride kills those are where we are to stand as the people of God and say this is what the word of God says and then watch God move the people in those valleys they don't need to hear what I got to say they don't need to hear what you got to say they only need to hear what God has to say his word alone has the power to bring life amen so revival comes through the proclaiming of God's word secondly revival comes through the power of God's spirit Through the power of God's Spirit, Ezekiel could have went a little low CD in the moment and piled up all those bones in a neat, orderly fashion. They'd still be dead. 
He could organize the femurs together and the shin bones together and the clavicles all together and they'd still be dead. He could put a committee together, come with all kinds of creative things they could do with all these bones and they'd still be dead. He could go get Gorilla Glue and he could stick all the bones back together just as the song says they're supposed to be together and they're still dead. And we might have the best and the newest pile of bones in the valley but apart from the Spirit of God blowing into these bones they are dead and they're going to stay dead. We might have reformed but we need to be revived. Grace Life, if we have ever needed the Lord, we need Him today. We need Him now. We read John chapter 15 this past week, and Jesus said, you remember this? He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Always remember that. Unless He does the work. It's all in vain. So I want us to pray. With heads bowed and with the eyes closed. Now I, I want to ask the men in the house to stand with me. Let's, let's pray, fellas. Ladies, I ask the men to stand, not because they're more important than you, but because you're more important than they are. And you deserve the honor of having godly leadership in your life. And men, God has ordained that that would start with us. God, as men today, we confess to you that we have thought too highly of ourselves and too little of you. It is not that we have forgotten you, it is that we have minimized your importance. We've convinced ourselves that we can live with just some occasional help from you. God, forgive us of our pride and our arrogance. And God, we confess to you today that apart from you, we are dead and we can do nothing. We are but dry bones in this valley called planet Earth. God, today, if you would breathe into us, the presence of your Holy Spirit, we could live again. God, you are not a genie that we can rub your bottle and get you to respond the way we want. You are Adonai, Yahweh, 
Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. The outpouring of yourself upon your people, God, that is your decision. Strange to us, but sovereign from you. God, we just want to confess to you today, God, that we want that. We want to know you more. And we want to love you more deeply, God, than we ever have before. So, God, we don't, we don't have the answer. But you do. God, we're just simply confessing to you today that we need you, Lord. We need you. And should you choose to visit us in that strange, sovereign way that we long for, God, we'll praise you for that. Should you choose not to, we will still praise you. If we have to live out our days with no more music, if we have to live out our days in that daily dread of being miles from where we want to be, we'll still praise you, Lord. Because you are nonetheless worthy.